you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode, of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com, kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. Chicago teachers voting not to return to the classroom because they're dissatisfied with the COVID-19 protocols to protect students, uh, faculty, and uh, other staff members. Uh, Certainly, they're not alone in expressing concerns as we are seeing rising case counts linked to the Omicron variant of COVID-19. The Los Angeles Times just reporting within the past hour that more than 1,000 employees of Los Angeles area police departments, fire departments, and other public service agencies have been quarantined as a result of Omicron uh, positive tests of COVID-19. Now, it doesn't mean all those people are necessarily getting sick, but they're out of action. And that means that response times might be greater uh, for some 911 calls. And uh, of course, we're seeing this impact across a variety of different levels of society. Uh, perhaps most prominently, we were seeing in the world of collegiate and professional sports with so many games canceled and players sidelined as a result of COVID-positive tests. Joining us to talk about where we stand with the Omicron variant, which is not all bad news, is UC San Francisco infectious disease specialist and professor of medicine at UCSF, Dr. Monica Gandhi. Dr. Gandhi, great to have you with us today. Thank you so much. By the uh, way, I can't hear your audio very well. Oh, you can't hear me very well? Okay, we'll try and get that uh, straightened out. Thank you. I'll, I'll shout, but it's not at you. It's not personal. Um, first of all, I mean, there does appear to be the good news here that though hospitalizations are increasing, it's nowhere near matching the pace of the increase in positive uh, cases of, of COVID-19. But we are seeing a lot of people sidelined as a result of positive COVID tests or symptoms in some cases. Your thoughts on where we stand overall? Yes, so this is really sort of a different time in the pandemic and also a different variant. So what I mean by that is that there's no doubt that Omicron is leading to milder infections. The biggest South Africa study showed multiple indications of that uh, three versus eight day hospitalization, uh, 70% less likely to be on oxygen, uh, much less ICU care shown in the UK and uh, even in the US is mirroring the UK findings. And there are two reasons for why Omicron is milder. One is that actually our immunity in December 2021, January 2022, is much higher than um, when the Delta variant hit the world uh, early March. 
Uh, we have high rates of vaccination in many countries and communities. And unfortunately, we have high rates of natural immunity in, for example, South Africa that had a 75% seroprevalence rate, even though they only had a 25% vaccination rate. So much higher levels of immunity. Immunity, what does that do? It takes away the bite of the virus, it defangs it, and then uh, less likely to cause severe disease. And then the second is that now six laboratory studies, uh, including two in explant lung tissue from humans and then four animal studies, show us that Omicron is less likely to infect lung cells. It simply doesn't do what the other variants did, which is infect the lungs. And what that means is a lot of the symptoms are upper airway as opposed to lower airway um, that cause such severe disease. So two reasons for it. And one of the questions that came up yesterday is whether our testing is as as good for detecting the Omicron variant uh, because nasal swaps are so often used. Uh, it, is that giving us uh, as good a, a, a result as we received with Delta, for example? Well, they, it is, but um, this is the problem with testing. They both have limitations, and maybe we never talked about the limitations of testing uh, enough. Uh, uh, but the rapid piece, so the PCR tests will detect very little virus in your nose, just could be fragments of virus. So you don't actually know if you're infectious with a PCR test, and it can stay positive for 90, 120 days. That's why PCR really shouldn't be used to tell if you're infectious because you're really only infectious for a short period of time. The rapid antigen tests, um, you can get Omicron in your nose, uh, you know, one minute and not the next minute. And so it's like you can't test as frequently as you'd like um, to know if you have it in there. Uh, and um, But it's better at detecting if you're infectious but the problem is we don't have, and this is just a truism and, and it's disappointing, but we don't have the availability of rapid antigen tests that, that we should have in this phase of the pandemic. And so health authorities are saying, please you know, reserve it if you're uh, to test, not when you're asymptomatic, but when you're symptomatic. We're talking with UCSF's Dr. Monica Gandhi, and we welcome your calls with your questions for the infectious disease specialist about COVID-19, about testing, about the Omicron variant, about quarantining or isolation. We're at 866-893-KPCC. You can also email us at atcomments at kpcc.org, but please include your location as well as your first name. Similarly, if you tweet at Airtalk, please include your location along with your Twitter handle. We appreciate that very much. Again, chance for you to get expert feedback from one of our terrific medical experts. All of this, of course, is our new podcast, COVID in L.A. Already thousands and thousands of subscribers to the Daily Audio, which is our COVID-19 segment. In case you miss it, wherever you get your audio, you can subscribe to it. It's everywhere, or you can get it at kpcc.org. We also have news in from the Centers for Disease Control, uh, the uh, announcement that uh, there will be no change in the qualifications for being fully vaccinated against COVID-19. But the CDC is urging Americans to stay up to date on their protection against the virus by getting booster shots when eligible. The move to keep the existing 
definition of fully vaccinated, which is either two doses of the mRNA vaccines or a single dose of J&J, comes as health officials are warning of waning protection from those initial doses. Americans are being encouraged, encouraged to get additional doses to stave off serious illness and death. Dr. Gandhi, what do you think about that? Um, given that we do see that waning of effectiveness, why not uh, change the definition of fully vaccinated to include boosters? Well, I'm really excited that you asked me this so I can talk about immunity for just a minute. Um, so uh, the, the the way to think about immunity if I could just talk about it, is is they're kind of think of it as three arms to the immune system. They're antibodies, which are very temporary, actually, unfortunately. Why are they temporary? Because if I had an antibody in my bloodstream for every infection or vaccine I've ever seen, I couldn't move. I'd be my blood would be so thick. So it what that means is they are going to come down with time. But what you develop um, is what are called B cells, which are the recipes, templates to make more antibodies if they see the virus in the future. And you also develop T cells, which protect you against severe disease. And what we saw with Omicron is that absolutely the booster will boost your antibodies. It absolutely does. And that can protect you temporarily from the virus, um, from any COVID variant, including Delta or or uh, Omicron. But those antibodies come down quite quickly with time, unfortunately. There was a UK study showed within 10 weeks, they come right back down. But you still have those T cells and B cells that protect you. And in fact, they are generated very nicely with the two doses of the mRNA vaccine. Importantly, with the um, B cells, one more thing to say about that, when they see the virus in the future, they don't produce antibodies that like are against the old virus that they saw, the Wuhan strain, the ancestral strain, the alpha strain, the beta strain. They produce uh, antibodies that are directed against the variant they see in front of them. That's called adaptive immunity. That's how amazing our immune response is. So since they're protecting us so well against severe disease, I think that's probably why they kept the definition, knowing that boosters is only a temporary antibody increase. All right, we're at 866-893-KPECC. Look forward to your questions for Dr. Gandhi. Jeff in Los Feliz, wondering about the effectiveness of wearing cloth masks combined with a surgical mask. Does that provide a boost? Yes. So at this stage in the pandemic, really, Omicron is so transmissible. This is how I think about masks. If you are don't want any exposure, or if you're high risk for a severe breakthrough, like my, my father who's going through um, chemo right now, I need him to wear a strong mask. What are those mask possibilities? They are N95s, KN95s, KF94s, FFP2s, a lot of letters, or <laughs> you just said surgical plus cloth mask. How do we know that? Um, a study I did with, with others um, looked at the effectiveness of two type of masks, a cloth plus surgical, in any order. And it was as effective if you if you keep it tight against your face as N95. So it's just a more comfortable option. And it's something that you can do at home. And also N95s need to be fit tested. So I think that's a great option to protect yourself from any um, exposure. We're talking with UCSF's Dr. Monica Gandhi. We're at 866-893-KPCC. Stacy in Santa Monica emailed us, the ubiquity of Omicron's frightening. Hearing some of the reports makes it sound like it can seep through masks. Just how contagious is it? 
Well, it is very transmissible. And what do we mean? Like, what's the comparison? Well, the comparison to Delta in a Japanese study uh, looked like it was about four times more contagious. So you're right that it is. The unfrightening thing about it, and I just really want to stress what you said at the very beginning, is that it's more mild and we have immunity um, if we're vaccinated against severe disease. And so I can't you know, pretend that it's not very transmissible. It is, but the cases are going up, but the hospitalizations in highly vaccinated regions like California are nowhere near going up like they did in the past before we had vaccines before, uh, even with the Delta variant. And importantly, not only are they becoming decoupled, the hospitalizations from cases, but a lot of our hospitalizations are just incidental. People have it in their nose. We have to test everyone who comes in the hospital to make sure for isolation protocols that they don't have COVID in their nose. We'll put them in a different room. And about 67% of the hospitalizations in LA County yesterday Dr. Uh, Christina Gailey said were for another reason, they just had COVID in their nose. So only those of those hospitalizations, 33% were for COVID. I think that's important. So it does seem scary, but if we take a step back and say, oh, lots of cases, but our hospitalizations are staying low, that's what scared us about COVID, right? That's what um, was why we noticed COVID was that it caused severe disease and our severe disease is much, much down. Dr. Gandhi, I think for people who are fully vaccinated and boosted, there's still yes. a concern about contracting COVID-19 um, and and not necessarily about the mild symptoms that that or, or even asymptomatic exposure that might be the norm for people in that category, but that there could potentially be uh, long COVID symptoms down the road as a result of that exposure. Can you speak to the odds of, of that happening? happening for someone fully vaccinated and boosted who does not have a serious case of COVID once infected? Yes, that's a great question. So the odds are slim to none really about getting long COVID from a mild breakthrough. How do we know that? Three reasons. One, what's the pathophysiology of long COVID? It's really that the virus goes everywhere, usually with severe infection. In an initial infection, if you're not vaccinated, goes to multiple places. What vaccination and boosting does is it allows your adaptive immunity to get to work on that virus as fast as possible, bring down that viral load and keep the virus contained in the upper respiratory tract with mild symptoms. Second is the innate immune response. What's the innate immune response? That's the response that's out of control when you don't have what's called adaptive immunity, B cells, T cells developed to fight that virus. And that innate immune response can cause inflammation at the beginning if you're unvaccinated, especially when you, if you're very sick, and that inflammation can last. So what adaptive immunity again does is it takes away the, it, it, it comes in, swoops in, and doesn't allow dysregulated inflammation to occur. And then finally, I'd refer everyone, and I really like people to listen to this. This is um, This Week in Virology. There's episode 88. All you have to do is look on TWIV episode 88 on uh, Google, very excellent discussion among infectious disease experts about how at least a survey of 2000 ID doctors around the country, people have not been seeing those symptoms with a mild breakthrough um, with uh, the, any long COVID symptoms. So I think that's a very reassuring podcast that I refer people to. That's great. Uh, you mentioned a very important point about incidental 
COVID-19 positive testing. People coming into the hospital for something else, they're given a routine COVID test, they test positive, and they count as someone in the hospital with COVID, even though that's not what put them in the hospital. There also is a question that's come in from a listener about um, people who were testing multiple times, uh, going perhaps to a county-operated facility. They test positive maybe on a on a rapid antigen test. So then they want to confirm that. They get a PCR test. They test positive, let's say, on that. How do they make sure that that's not counted as two different people with COVID as opposed to an individual who's tested positive two or perhaps three times? Yeah, that's a very good question. They won't be tested. You know, they won't be counted as separate. They'll be counted as separate tests. Um, so it's really positive, meaning three times, that looks like three different cases. So um, this is the problem with our case counts, actually. Um, The problem with our case counts is that some people are testing at home, they don't record them. Uh, Some people can't get rapid antigen tests, so they're not um, testing. Uh, um, We don't have, you know, we don't record every test or we record them more than once. Um, There isn't, hospitalization counts, for COVID is making more sense right now um, uh, in terms of tracking our success of the pandemic. So our success in LA County and San Francisco County, at least if calling successes, is being tracked by hospitalizations and it's looking so much better. And case counts are kind of unreliable. So in other, so with those people who are taking multiple tests, um, it just seems like another problem we have with the tracking of COVID-19 yeah. that we're not able to differentiate in that way. We haven't been able to have the contact tracing at anywhere near what was promised early in the pandemic that we would have. It just seems like our ability to follow up and to gain really vital information, we just haven't been able to do that. Yeah, it, it, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, this is an unprecedented pandemic. And um, I think that at the beginning, our case rates were also unreliable, but they're even more unreliable right now. And that's why a lot of experts are calling on the CDC to say, okay, please track hospitalizations properly. And how do you track them properly? Are they in there with covid or for COVID, Um, are they hospitalized for COVID? And also please give us the comorbidities that are associated with severe breakthroughs so that we know that those patients may need boosting. They may need a fourth booster um, if you're at risk for severe breakthroughs. So there's CDC, uh, I think they just weren't equipped to maybe track some of these things. And and boy, a lot of people are calling on them to step it up. 866-893-KPCC called by Sean in Huntington Beach, who wonders as Omicron continues to spread apparently widely, could this actually be a benefit by building up people's immunity to future potentially more deadly variants? Yes. So there was a study just actually two days ago that showed us mild Omicron infection gives you what are called broad neutralizing antibodies to all the variants we've seen, alpha, beta, gamma, delta. They actually checked all of them. And then also produce those T cells that we just talked about, um, which are very broad uh, across the spike protein um, and and deepen those T cells. So you're right that we could get another variant in the future and there's no guarantee that it wouldn't be, that it would be mild like this one. Um, And so if you the breakthrough infection, know that you've just deepened or what's called refreshed your immunity to other variants of the future. 
866-893-KPECC. Hillary in Los Feliz, I ask if you could talk about what sorts of protections for kids under five who aren't yet eligible to be vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. They are very low risk, which is just a kind of interesting aspect and I think important aspect of this virus. This, there's no other virus uh, that so clearly spares the young. Um, and there are really two reasons for that. One is that the receptor that where the virus enters the body is very low amounts in the nasal passages in, in young children. Um, and the second reason is that it has to do with what's called their innate immune response and they prevent essentially it from slipping down into the lungs. And Omicron is in general more mild for everyone. So it isn't something that's a big threat to young unvaccinated children. Um, I definitely think we need a vaccine though for young children. And you're right that the um, the vaccine trial was disappointing. It was a three microgram dose given three weeks apart and uh, it didn't elicit the immune response that it needed to um, for six month to four year olds. So now they're going back and giving a third dose. One option is to give a 10 microgram dose for those older children, like three to four year olds. And the FDA is looking at that. The 10, uh, 10 microgram dose is what we give to five to 11 year olds. So I'm sorry that that took longer. It will come out according to Pfizer. We will have the data in early 2022. And in the meantime, I think just know that they are really protected by their own immune protection, essentially, and and I hope they are still in childcare and still be able to socialize with others. All right. My apology about that uh, loud sound that came through. We'll work on uh, remedying that. James in Silver Lake, you're on Air Talk with Dr. Monica Gandhi. Hi. Um, yes, I'm calling my daughter uh, yesterday, came down with a sore throat and some fatigue, and everybody in our family were vaccinated and boosted. And uh, she uh, went down to her work where they have rapid tests, and she did one. Um, and it came back negative. But while she was out, um, she decided to go to USC where she's a student and do the PCR test. And this morning, she got the results back negative. And of course, we're celebrating really happy and yeah. we can stop doing the, all the precautions we were taking. But then I was listening earlier in the broadcast, and you mentioned something about that might, the PCR test might not be effective at picking up the Omicron. So could you elaborate more on that? So Yeah, sorry. No, it's the opposite. It's definitely effective at picking up the Omicron. What I meant is, is it's so sensitive that it can even pick up a few fragments. So if her PCR is negative, she is negative. Um, and that's great. And then what this means, of course, is that we have a bunch of other respiratory viruses that we haven't been paying attention to, but we have RSV out there, adenoviruses, other common cold coronaviruses. We have influenza coming back to us. Um, And so there are other respiratory viruses, but we don't have those tests. Like there's no way you can go down to a center and get tested for these rapid antigen panels like we would in an urgent care. So um, she just has something else, which is good um, and, and is definitely what we're seeing these days. James, thanks so much and good news for your daughter and uh, the family. This raises the issue, though. We've had one case uh, so far reported in Los Angeles County, I believe it was a teenager who tested positive for both COVID-19 and for flu. And it's it's been dubbed Flu-Rona, kind of a funny, funny name, but something you obviously don't want to get. Um, how concerned should we be about those cases or do you anticipate it'll be rare to come down with both? 
Well, there is no, unfortunately, there's no reason why you couldn't come down with both because they don't actually go through the same receptors and they don't outcompete each other or take the ability, you know, away from each other to be infected. So for example, in May and June, we saw a resurgence of respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, in children, actually in all of us, a lot of us got colds then, but some people could get COVID and RSV. They, 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 you can get both at once. Um, we had never tested for a virus like COVID before. We never tested asymptomatic people or mildly symptomatic people with so much tests. And so now that we have this test, we're going to be seeing more of kind of dual viruses um, because coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2, the COVID is becoming endemic. What does that mean? It's not going to go away. So it'll always be unfortunately with us. Um, and we, it, it will depend on the quality of our tests if we pick up uh, multiple viruses or just COVID. It's going to, we're going to have to do better with, with testing for multiple viruses at once. Uh, the good news, that teenager who tested positive at the center, at the, at the Getty Center in Brentwood, uh, though the teen had symptoms, uh, didn't require hospitalization, was able to go home with parents. The teen had apparently just returned uh, from a family vacation in Cabo San Lucas, that according to the testing company involved at that site at the Getty Center. 866-893-KPECC. Rich in Glendale, wondering what makes for a surgical mask. Uh, and uh, does Dr. Gandhi, Rich Wonders, uh, have a recommendation for the average person, uh, what type of surgical mask? Yes. What a surgical mask specifically means is that it's made out of something called polypropylene material. You know, it's those shiny blue, I personally use pink surgical masks, um, but they are um, that usually blue and they are um, they are interesting because they are negatively charged and viruses are negatively charged. So how they work is not just through the physical barrier aspect, but they work because they physically repel the virus, um, which is which is why they are so superior to cloth masks. So if you're going about your day-to-day um, you know, a surgical mask is far superior to a cloth mask at this point. Um, and for example, my kids in school are using surgical masks. Uh, the challenge with surgical, of course, is just getting a good fit so you don't have areas around your face yes. where there's leakage. And and uh, that's something I always struggle with, particularly because I wear glasses with my glasses steaming up, which tells me it's not as tight as it needs to be. That's right. You do need to double loop you know, the, the CDC has a good example of this from their February 9th, 2021 uh, monograph on masks. But you, if you are have a smaller face, double loop. So, you know, cross it over before you put it over your ear. And then you can even tuck in the sides um, to make it uh, not air escape. All right. Uh, good question. Thank you so much, Rich in Glendale. And and Matt, our producer, said he accidentally hung up on you in mid-quest. So please, not personal. It was just, uh, it was an accident. Matt wanted to make sure. So call in anytime again, Rich. 866-893-KPECC. Or you can ask your question via email. Please include your location and first name at atcomments at kpecc.org. Uh, let's take uh, another question here from our listener, uh, Lorian Sherman Oaks, said early on in the pandemic, it was reported those with type O blood were less likely to get COVID. Did that turn out to be true? Yeah, that's a great question. It did not turn out to be true. Um, so that was one of those associations that went away. We had too much information at the beginning of the pandemic. 
All right. Uh, Let's see, we have uh, Alex in, uh, messaging us on Facebook. Are Pfizer and Moderna making immediate plans to ups- update their vaccine formula based on new variants to help prevent infection and transmission? Well, it's a very good question because you're right that what the vaccines do is prevent disease. Um, and and increasingly, we're understanding that getting mild infections is not what the vaccines can, can prevent us from. And um, so they're not planning on updating them. The reason is because it really isn't a function. So again, your B cells, when you produce them from the vaccines, they'll be able to produce antibodies adapted against any variant they see in the future. And your T cells are so in breath, they'll, they'll cover the, the spike protein of different variants, but it takes a few days. B cells take a few days to make the antibodies that you need to bring down the virus, which is why people can have mild symptomatic uh, breakthroughs, but then those B cells kick in, get those antibodies, bring it down. Uh, and so it's not gonna help to make variant specific boosters. What would prevent transmission um, is actually nasal um, uh, vaccines. So intranasal vaccines produce specifically IgA and IgG in the nose itself. And that's going to be best for preventing transmission. It's why in that movie Contagion, <laughs> they gave everyone intranasal vaccines. And we do have intranasal vaccines being produced. They're, they haven't uh, gone as fast as they should, uh, but they are in production. So in the future, we you could imagine that you've gotten your um, injectable vaccine that's protected you for a long time. And then to prevent transmission, it's going to need to be intranasal vaccines. We're talking with Dr. Monica Gandhi, UC San Francisco, professor of medicine and infectious disease specialist. Uh, we have time for a call from Glenn in Playa del Rey. You're on air talk. Yes. Hi. Uh, hypothetical question. If we discount uh, the possibility of a new variant uh, developing overseas, just looking at the United States, what is the possibility of Omicron basically ending the pandemic if we were just to look at the United States in, that, in a sense of those of us are vaccinated, okay, a good portion of the population, and if it goes through so quickly through the unvaccinated and because it's mild, the majority live, they re-enter society, so to speak, with maybe, what, a three-month immunity or, you know, help to provide that herd immunity. Yeah. I mean, could that, in a sense, end the pandemic? Yeah, it's a great question, Glenn. Yes, it's a very high chance that if we don't get another variant from overseas or from here or somewhere or animal reservoirs, that this could end, quote, end the pandemic. How, what do you mean end? It means that it brings it down to such low levels that we can manage it. And why is that? Because you're exactly what you just said. It gives the unvaccinated immunity. It gives us who are vaccinated and boosted refreshed immunity. And it, it, it builds what's called a wall of immunity. It doesn't mean that we are going to not see this virus in the future, but it is, it is the best variant that we could have had to be highly transmissible, which is more mild. Uh, the Delta variant was not more mild, and that was a very difficult time. A final question for you, Dr. Gandhi. I, I certainly understand why teachers who are immunocompromised and, and haven't gotten robust response from vaccination would be very reluctant to return to the classroom with, with Omicron. But we're seeing Chicago teachers, uh, you know, canceling, uh, going back to class, being unhappy with the protocols in their schools. 
Um, your thoughts about this? I mean, should teachers and other staff members at schools be concerned about this if they're not immunocompromised, if, if you know, other than not getting coverage from vaccines? Right. So you're right that in two years into the pandemic, we need a risk versus benefit analysis of what we do in society. And um, and those who are immunocompromised, like my father right now, I need him to wear a strong mask uh, to be out and I need him boosted um, and your and 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 possibly staying home during um, times of surges. But the reason that we've developed the vaccine was to go back to life, was to work, was to be around each other. And um, and the, it really does provide strong protection against what we, what we were so scared about. The CDC data yesterday showed us that 3.9, over 100,000 people are being hospitalized if you're vaccinated with COVID compared to 64 times 64 people over 100,000 if you're unvaccinated. And the typical rate of flu hospitalization in the winter is 50 over 100,000. So we are so low in terms of those severe breakthroughs. We need to define who they are and protect them. But in general, um, these vaccines are incredibly effective and was meant to go back to normal life, including having vaccines down to five to 11 year olds. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Gandhi. We appreciate it. And we look forward to talking with you in the future. Thank you so much for the work you and your colleagues are doing at UCSF. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at LAist.com, at kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.